Hello, friends, and welcome to To The Point, the home services podcast that focuses on marketing and operational solutions to help you get better. Because if you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Now, let's cut through the bullshit and get to the point. Paul, today is a good day for a good day. What do you think? It is a good day, Chris. There's so much to be grateful for. It's always awesome to be back in the studio. Next week, I get to be in the physical studio with you. But uh, good to see you, man. Good to see your face and hear your voice. I am so excited. Listeners, thanks again for coming back and listening to us. I'm your host, Chris Yano, as well as Mr. Tall Paul Redman, my co-host. What's up again, brother? Hey, listen, you know what? Quick question. Before you start talking and opening your mouth, you it's taking like off. five minutes. I got to ask you a quick question. How good does it feel for you to be back in that office? Oh, in this office? You mean where I don't have four kids doing homeschool? Really, really good, man. Really good. But not so as much for me. My wife is so happy that I actually left the house today. Yep. Well, listen, I'm grateful. All of our employees from Rhino, for those who don't know, I'm also the CEO of a company called Rhino Strategic Solutions, a home services digital marketing company for the trade since 2008. And guess what? All my Rhinos are back this week. And I'm so grateful. So that being said, I want to talk about something super fast before we introduce our amazing, ridiculously talented guest. I want to talk about gratitude for just a second. Okay. Uh, and I, something happened to me and I'm going to share it on the, on the air. That was very personal. Uh, and I just got a, a, it was a scare. Kyle, you don't even know this. You're about to find out. So, um, I had a, uh, I had like, I'm 41. So I'm like, I'm getting up there. Okay. Pretty old. And, uh, shut up. Uh, and I'm getting pretty old. So, um, I had this little, um, mark on my face and then mark on my back. And my wife was like, I think you need to go get this thing checked out. Like you got this mole on your back that's wonky and like, it's getting bigger and you need to check it out. I'm like, I can't, it's in the middle of my back. So I couldn't see it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to go and check it out. And I, and I get it checked out and, um, and it was a like potentially like a cancer scare. So, and so I was like, holy shit. And, and if anybody knows me on this air, that's listened to me enough, you know, like I don't worry. I always say, I, I never worry about anything because 90% of the shit you worry about never actually happens. So I wait to worry about the 10% when it actually comes up. Like it or not, that's how I roll. But so I don't worry about anything. So I go and get this thing cut off my back. And now I'm like not so much worried because it hasn't come back, tested positive for like cancer. I was so fearful of melanoma. And I asked my mother and like my sister and like they had some scares too. So now I'm like, oh my gosh, like this could be like this could be something. And so it really made me start to think like I'm not a young buck anymore. So I had I went and got it checked out. And I got the results back while I was in Nashville this past weekend. They called me on Friday, which was probably a bad move, by the way, because I was ready to celebrate because I came back and it was free of any cancer or anything like that. So I am healthy, but I will never, ever not go and check something again. So I encourage you listeners, don't wait. If you see something you need that like discoloring in your skin or a mole looks funky or whatever, don't be too tough to go and get it checked out. Okay. That was my PSA on, uh, on melanoma and skin cancer. So grateful that I'm good to go. So now I'm very grateful. I'm always a grateful guy, but that was a pretty amazing thing. And it made me think like, you know what? Um, this is a good time to remind all of our listeners to be grateful. You woke up today. That's enough to be thankful about. So I also want to do something I don't normally do, but in a meeting I had this morning, I was able to get some, um, some really awesome feedback, which is always great to hear. And so down the lines of gratitude is, a. Uh, 
our reviews have been off the charts, you know, for to the point, and we got voted again on the top podcast uh, for home services, and that is awesome. Like, can you believe it, Paul? In January, when we got pushed, you know, by Gary to start this thing, and we we're like, nah, that it's here today. Like, isn't that it's, pretty? It's amazing, and I do want to give a, a quick shout out. You mentioned reviews a few weeks ago. I, um, you know, jokingly said that I was disappointed about a guy named Eric Shamrock who made a review that Called said, out. simply stated that, uh, hey, Chris is really smart. This podcast is great. And I felt slighted. Well, sure enough, <laughs> we go back and look at the reviews. He went in and revised it. He included me and then signed off again on it. So Eric Shamrock, wherever you are out there, you didn't have to do that. And uh, man, that makes me feel so much better about myself. Hey, you cannot submit that receipt. Just so you know that you paid him off with as a business expense, <laughs> right. just so you know. <clears throat> Well, Venmo, you can do anything with Venmo. Whatever, whatever. So, so I got a cool uh, result back too, and uh, and actually, and our guests will appreciate this because um, she's been in the industry for quite a long time. But um, Kyle, listen up, buddy, you're gonna be really proud of this. So, I got a result back. I always look at across the United States to see how our customers performed in every quarter, um, and I have a couple I want to share. And so, I got this re- back this morning, so I was excited about it. And I, um, but I want to share a couple quick, a couple key things because you know of. Anytime that there's something to be grateful about, the only reason that we we're in business and the only reason we started this podcast was to do what, Paul? To serve. To serve. That's all we do, man. We serve the masses. Just the home services industry is where we like to give. So some of our customers, I'm going to share. So Buyer Boys, one of our customers down in uh, in Texas, between June and August, average cost per lead was $31.87. Unreal. Average For cost, a legit new customer. customer. New business. New customer in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, our guest knows that's a, a, a tough market. Barty in uh, in Atlanta, $44.79. Hoff over in St. Louis, $36.86. We Care in L.A., tough market, $76.41. And then our last one, our biggest customer, 200 no mil plus. H.B. McClure up in the Northeast, $65.66. Nothing feels better to me than to see those numbers and the success of our customers, especially this year. So, Dude, how amazing is that, that that's what we're a part of? It's amazing. And I mean, those are the numbers, man. That's the that's the number that we operate by. And to see them that low this time of year, it's amazing. Dude, I'm so Shout out to Jerry that. up at HB McClure. That's right. He'll be here in October. Um, and also quick shout out to Gary V and uh, and also the whole Vayner and Sasha team, man, because obviously they pushed us into this piece of it and they've helped along the way. So that's been an awesome relationship. Um, by the time this this episode airs, I'll have already done my breakout at Service World Expo um, on Stop Feeling and Start Knowing. So all those who attended and listened, thank you. And last but not least, thank goodness my Arizona Cardinals play some football on this Sunday. I'm so grateful for the return of football. Jeez, it's time. It's time. Our guest is a football fan. I know that. Um, also, so she is from Texas, uh, actually from New Braunfels, I believe. Is that right? New Braunfels, right? Okay. Yeah. And uh, wait, New Braunfels. So that's where John Wayne's from. John Wayne. That's my one of our my old customers, good friend of mine. John, not John Wayne Home Services Company. Yeah, John Wayne Home <laughs> Services Company. Sorry. Uh, Baylor grad. <laughs> Baylor grad, which is uh, Waco, right? Waco. Yeah. Baylor grad. We- Okay, so I'm going to go down. I'm going to read off your resume for just a second, but I'm going to fly through it. Okay, so buckle right. up. And then we're going to go straight into introduction and then right into where, like, a little bit of the history that you, that I'm not going to bring up. So, our guest right now, starting in 2010, 
2010, was a marketing manager for Rainbow International Restoration. And if I mess anything up, you just got to correct me once I'm done. But I think I got it all right. Um, you flew up the ranks quickly. It is so impressive to see what you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. 2012, you went to senior marketing manager for the Doyer Group, which is now neighborly. Um, 2013, brand manager for Mr. Reuter, which is actually when you and I first talked, even though you don't remember, but we did. It was brief. Um, and it was back in the day when we started building apps for contractors because we thought that was going to be the right thing to do. And I'm pretty sure I pissed off our guests because I probably didn't follow brand guidelines and I was creating a couple of the apps. <clears throat> so, um, but <laughs> my heart was in the right place. Uh, 2014, director of franchise sales marketing for the Dwyer Group. And then this Texas girl moved to the Northeast. She moved up to Maryland and made a big change, <laughs> quite a big change. Uh, and in 2015, she became the director of marketing for the Cleaning Authority, which is part of the Authority Brands. Um, and then 17, obviously, like, I'm not giving the months because that's too much. But to 2017, she became the VP of marketing for Cleaning Authority. And then to where she has landed today, the cost to be the boss, she's the CMO, the chief marketing officer for Authority Brands, our guest, Heather McLeod. How are you doing, Heather? I am so good that's such a great introduction i feel like you rapid fired that i need to i need to practice that myself so i can pull it right through it well i had to uh you there was so much i was like do i leave some of this off i'm like nah it's too good you literally <laughs> like you blew up the ranks and are crushing it like it was that's why i was saying to you earlier pre-podcast it was exciting to kind of do a little due diligence on you to see kind of what all you've, what all you've accomplished but i was watching some of it before because once i had talked to you initially i was kind of like man like I've kind of seen you, you, anytime you make an update on LinkedIn, it shows, oh, you know, your new position. I was like, God, she just keeps crushing it. So when the opportunity <laughs> to actually, what's that? I have to tell you, Chris, the one thing that did not come up in the uh, resume deep dive that I obviously didn't know that you were going to talk about this morning, but you are also talking to a melanoma survivor. And uh, so, yes, I encourage everybody to go get their skin checked. Everybody should have your friend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, check out your back right where you can't see because that's exactly where mine was. So I'm glad that you wow. have all of that handled. But yeah, imagine my shock when you started telling that story. I was like, wait, how much did he dive in? Heather, did we just become best friends? I think so. <laughs> I think so. It's, it's cemented from the stars. I did not know that. That's fantastic. Wow. Good. Well, congrats. Yeah. congrats. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, that's super. That's awesome. So I wanted to kind of bring some, you know, that I was crazy because I I feel like nothing can ever happen to me because I lived a pretty full life and I'm like, oh, I'm good. But like it really stopped and made me think like, I got to make sure I check shit out. I'm not getting any younger. Well, thanks for sharing that. So I want to do, I want to jump into this too, because I know that we're going to always take up a bunch of time like we do. And this might even, and I did preface it because this could be one of those two-parter deals if you're game. And I think you're game. So if not, I just made you game for it. <laughs> um, but let's go ahead and, and uh, I, like I said, I covered it, but I always like to know, how did you even get into the trades? Because we, neither one meant to get into the trades. We kind of got sucked into it. And now, you know, 12, 13 years later, here we are still in it. And so but how, did, how did you get into the trades? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't really mean to either. It's actually just kind of random. I was living in Waco, Texas. I had finished grad school at Baylor. And when I had finished undergrad, the economy was just down in the dumps. And so this time around, I was like scavenging for any job in marketing. I was like, I will do anything. I will take anything. I don't know anything about restoration, but 
hey, it's right around the corner and uh, they're trying to hire MBA grads. All right, great. And I, I went in to interview at then the Dwyer Group, now Neighborly. And I had such a great experience with the people that I met in the interview. I was like, you know, I can do this. I can figure this out. And, you know, over, over my time being in the trades, I think those of us that have been in it a while all feel kind of the same that people in the trades are really great people. Sure. Like they're some good, awesome people. And I just ended up having all these great relationships. I felt, felt like this was a really good path for me to be on. So I just kind of stuck with it. Yeah. Well, I, blue collar, like legit. This is, I have met, I even have great friends that are customers. Well, they're great friends because we, if we did a bad job, we'd probably be, would probably be great friends. <laughs> But that works. Yeah. Debate, but it is as big of an industry as it is. It's actually pretty small. So, um, because a lot of people knows, you know, there's a lot of crossover and a lot of people, you know, knows everybody and it's, but everybody's awesome. Like it's fun. It's a good group of people. I've loved it. I've created a lot of amazing relationships. We've done a lot of good things. It's just very rewarding industry. And guess what? It's essential. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Who knew that was a phrase we were all going to start? I don't know. But I don't know that it really thought about essential services until, COVID, but man, it really does just prove out that if you're providing a service that other people either can't do, don't know how to do, or just simply don't want to do, yeah. you're in a pretty good space. It, it's a total reframe of what's, what is like honorable work and important work. Um, so 10 years you've been in this space, kind of got in like we did. Fast forward now, you're the CMO of Authority Brands. For our listeners who don't know who Authority Brands is, kind of share with us your portfolio and what you guys do and who you are. Yeah, absolutely. So Authority Brands is the parent company of seven national home service brands. So One Hour HVAC, Benjamin Franklin Plumbing, Mr. Sparky Electric, the Cleaning Authority, which is the original brand that kind of created the family Home Watch Caregivers, America's Swimming Pool Company, and Mosquito Squad. So indoor, outdoor, um, basically the roof line to the property line is kind of the goal for us at Authority Brands. And we are very much an, an acquisition brand. So we're still growing even through COVID, looking to see who might be the next you know, national brand that we bring into the family. Um, but really, you know, it's it's kind of all of the um, all of the trades well represented, as well as some um, indoor outdoor services as well. So, before we get into this anymore, thanks for sharing that. Because um, I guess I probably should have talked about who all is under authority brand. That was better coming from you. But let's <laughs> the franchising has come up a lot, um, especially the last you know few quarters. I mean, really, first half of this year, it's come up more for different reasons. Um, but Let's, before we get into explain what franchising technically is. Yeah, that's a great question. So franchising basically is you getting the right to use our brand as far as name um, and all of our systems and processes to run a business. So for us, you know, that's things like software and technology training, both technical training and back of house office training. Um, It's all of our marks. So all of our logos, colors, advertising, um, our website, all of those different things. Um, You still own your business 100%. It's it's yours. 
Um, you can still, you can sell it if you've decided you're done and move on. Um, and all of that and all of kind of the fee structure that goes along with that um, are all outlined in a document that we all refer to as an FDD, but it stands for a franchise disclosure document. Um, and all of that is governed by the FTC. So basically it just gives you the right to be able to operate under our name using all of our stuff, um, but with you know your location, your people, your employees, all of that fun stuff. Got it. So you and I talked about this. I'm going to share it real quick because it came up and that's the reason the topic of this episode had come up is that we heard franchising um, coming up in a different way this time around. Cause people have asked us plenty of times on, Hey, what do you guys think about franchising or should I you know, sell to a franchise? Cause you can be an existing cust, you know, obviously existing company and sell to, you know, into the franchise model or I mean, go into the franchise model. One thing is this, you know, when you go that route, you, you've spent, millions and millions of dollars on, on a, on a brand and a nationally recognized brand. So that carries all the credibility. So if you're a new business or even if you're a business that hasn't marketed themselves well or whatever it might be, you could do, if you can attach yourself to that, you immediately have that instant credibility. I think there's, if people overlook the value of that, um, too great. Cause they start thinking about like, Oh my gosh, they're going to own my company. They're going to run my company. And, and so asking that technical question was great because it's, it, you really have to understand what you're getting. It's actually a, a partnership that you're getting into, um, but a partnership that's got a ton of value with a lot of um, really smart people who know exactly how to run the business. So you got like the best team of people to help give you some good guidance on how to blow the business up, how to be successful, um, among some other things that we'll get into. So I don't want to blow too far past it. But we also had people who were be become scared. You know, they were like, oh my gosh, what's my business going to look like? It's April, you know, it's, and, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, um, I should say, start with fortunately, um, when COVID hit, we were really prepared as a company, as Rhino, because we believed, hey, people are going to be home more. So common sense kicked in. People are going to be home more. They're going to use their stuff more. Let's double down on marketing. Like, let's take advantage. People are going to be scared and pull back, but not us. We're going to double down. And we had a lot of success there. Unfortunately, those that maybe pulled back, you know, for whatever reason, um, took a hit, you know, for whatever reason it might be. Um, but some people started reaching out to us on like, Hey, you know, had a, and a customer of ours actually, you know, had, um, had switched to a franchise model. So then we in turn lose them. This guy's a friend of mine. They're in Knoxville, Tennessee, but, um, they were afraid of what was, you know, like what was going to happen with my business. And they didn't have enough good direction on how to run. Like they were just afraid to that. And that was what led them to, looking at a franchise and then it came up again and again from others, you know, people, not necessarily customers of ours, but people that listen to the podcast are asking questions. So I talked to Heather about that. And that's when it was like, when the franchising topic came up more, you know, two or three times, I was like, okay, I'm listening. It's time to have an episode. And let's talk about what that really is. And you know, the options with it and all the stuff that comes with that. This is where Heather comes in. So I want to ask, um, but now, if I can, let's go ahead and dig deeper into it because I have a feeling we're going to spend a lot of time in this one on the, you know, um, the opinion of franchising. And so can you share what a contractor would want to, you know, either join a franchise or switch to a franchise? And I know this is going to, you're going to go into a couple of layers here. So let's spend some time in this section. And obviously, you know, Paul's going to have some questions I know in this section too, but let's, let's go ahead and get into, um, you know, what is like, what is the reasoning? What is kind of dig deeper into what you were just talking about on those values and the benefits and all that stuff? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. There are a couple, there's a couple big ones that are overarching, but um, one of the, the biggest right off the bat is kind of the operational and marketing support that you get from a franchise. So if you think about it, like having kind of a, a team of experts, not just at your disposal, but that are actively checking and supporting, checking on you and supporting you right. um, on a daily, weekly, bi-weekly basis. Um, that's really what it's like in a franchise. So you don't have to be an expert or hire an expert to work in your business in every area. You can call on some of the resources um, on the corporate side. And so, you know, being that I'm in marketing, obviously marketing is a big focus for me sure. as far as, you know, what we provide and what makes us you know, valuable to our business owners. But most of the franchisees that we have in our system, and we've got, you know, close to 1700 at this point, um, some of the largest ones might have marketing staff, but a lot of them, you know, rely on the partnerships that we have, the reporting that we provide, the tools that we give them, um, and don't have to, you know, don't have to look outside of us for that. Um, and then operationally, you know, it's people who've done it all before. One of the things that um, makes, you know, us a little bit different than some other franchises, but everybody, everybody kind of does it, but in their own way is all of our, um, all of our brands have people who are supporting from an operations perspective, from a both technical and a day-to-day -day business management perspective that have actually done it. They've run these franchises. They're not just like business experts sure. we got from, you know, um, from an MBA program or something like that. Um, but operationally, you know, they're getting advice. Our franchise owners are getting advice and guidance from people who have probably faced that exact problem. If not, um, you know, someone else on the team has or they faced something as equally strange and odd and different. Um, so, so really it's just, you know, having this pool of resources that you can call upon at any point in time to help you navigate whatever might be going on in your business. What would be the trade-off for someone who's about, like someone in, someone is a private business owner who's operational, right? Runs the business. Um, technically and you know all of their elements of the business and they're looking for help and they're considering like um, you know a peer group network type group where they pay a fee or whatever and then this route like what would be the trade-offs and and do you do you see that often yeah you know I think it, it comes up from time to time and it really just kind of depends on um, on what someone's personality type is like from the perspective of if you want to be making every decision, in your business. So you wanna pick every piece of advertising. You wanna comment on every piece of creative and make sure every ad looks exactly like you want it. If you want to vet five different potential vehicle providers and find the best deal for you, then that's probably not someone who's gonna be a great <laughs> fit for franchising, right? Because we try to make it as easy as possible by kind of eliminating some decision-making. So you don't have Structure. to make a bunch of decisions we provide you like, here's this great deal we have with this fleet provider. You just get it. This is yours. You get it. You don't have to negotiate it. You don't have to deal with any of that. Right. But some people like to make all of the decisions about things like that. And that's totally fine. It just means that maybe franchising isn't the right fit. I mean, I joke all the time with our team because we have so many people in our brands that also are franchise owners 
within our brand. So on, I mean, on our um, operations support staff that are also franchisees and sometimes new candidates coming in will say like, well, Heather, why don't, why don't you own a franchise? Like I would be the worst franchisee because I'm a marketing person right. and our whole shtick is we do all the marketing for you. So I would literally be the worst. Like I would have opinions on everything and then I would want to be involved in all that decision-making. So, so from that perspective, you know, it just kind of depends what, what your goal is with your business and what, you know, what you're open to relying on other people to help you with. Um, and peer groups and things like that. And, you know, there are other options outside of franchising to help people grow successful businesses. Um, we just kind of in our space in franchising, look at it as this is, you know, this is a way that makes it scalable, that makes it a little bit easier. You don't have to necessarily be wearing every hat in your business every day. Yeah. T talk to me more, if you don't mind, about like what it takes to be a successful franchisee. Like, what does that individual look like? Yeah, you know, this is a tricky one because this is one where like on our side, we wish that we could always pick them right, right. all of the time, right? We wish that we could always say this person will be successful. Um, you know, I think there's something that's really hard to quantify and I'm sure a lot of your customers fall in this bucket, but I'll, the desire to not fail. Like and that, that's something it. that exists in business ownership, whether you're a franchise or not. And that's one that's really hard to put a pin in, right? And some people will do it through like, oh, it's a, it's a disc profile that looks like this, or it's a personality test that looks like this. Um, but really it's a certain level of drive that just refuses to make excuses, right? Yeah. Like something happens that isn't exactly the way we thought COVID happened and none of us expected that. And it's just facing what's going on, making and charting the best course, leveraging the resources and guidance that we have, and then just forging ahead, you know? Yeah. So I, I wish there was like this cookie cutter of, of, of who's a great franchisee, but I think at the end of the day, drive is a huge one that's tough to measure. I also think there's something really powerful to be said about people who are willing to take the advice and guidance of others who've done it before. Yeah. And, you know, we do a lot of peer groups and coaching groups within our own systems with our mm -hmm. franchise owners, people who have been around a certain number of years or people who, you know, are in the same geographic area where there might be some common threads in terms of technical aspects of the business. Um, and I, and I think too, just being open to listening to your peers, um, is a big part of it as well. And those are normally the, the two most, you know, common characteristics in a successful franchisee are just the drive to succeed and the inability to accept failure as an option and a willingness to learn from your peers. That is so good. And I feel so bad because I know Chris has a question, but I keep hijacking it. Um, you don't feel bad. What don't we lie. notice is when we, we work with contractors all across North America and hundreds of them. And, and what you said is right in line with this. I think humility is an element too. And what I'm hearing from you is the commitment to not failing has to be greater than your ego. Like that's the formula. I think that it would good, take Paul. to say, you know what, 
I don't have to be right all the time and I don't have all the answers and I can't negotiate the best deal for uniforms and nor do, is it, <laughs> it's okay that I can't do that. So, right. and that was just one simple example, but yeah, no, humility. Awesome. Good answer. Sorry, Chris, go oh, ahead. Oh, that was good. I'm really proud of you right now. That was so good. Oh. Yeah. I'm going to steal that little equation for sure. I'll give you I a I just question. wrote it down. I wrote it down. <laughs> you wrote it down. See, we're best friends. We're all best friends. So I, I've got to back up a second because um, I think uh, a, bi a big piece of this too is you have to trust. You have to trust that you join that franchise because you trust that they've vetted out the processes for you. They trust they've vetted out the marketing programs for you, the software programs, the, you know, the wraps, the, tr the you know, whatever. You got to trust that they vetted that out for you, right? Because a lot of times when you're choosing something, it's like, who's got the best sales guy? Or maybe it's the best offer. But you also have these group, per, you know, these group buying purchases or this, um, like the group purchasing power that you get, which is a massive upside, especially when we're talking about equipment, things like that too. But there's this whole piece of it that I want to talk about that, you know, software is another piece of this, right? Because in order to really scale a business, I believe you got to have good pieces of software in place to do it, if, you know, efficiently. Um, but this group, the, you know, the group purchasing power is something that I think that easily gets over overlooked. Um, can we, can you talk about kind of how that, you know, like what that looks like? Cause it's not just like, maybe explain a little bit more what, what that actually means to the contractor. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a huge, this is a huge benefit. I mean, I think, I think contractors in general, you know, get the benefit, the larger they personally get, right. The bigger you get, the bigger deals you get, the bigger, you know, especially as you're forging your own relationships, whether that's at the supply house or with whoever that might be, you know, I think on a small scale, that's something that, that, you know, even independent contractors get to realize. But one of the best parts about being a part of a franchise system, especially in one like ours that has multiple brands is that, you know, we get to add that unit count and all of those dollars and spend up together and go to the table and negotiate not just as one location or even one brand, but as seven. Right. Um, and so with that comes a lot of great deals, rebate programs, discounts off of purchase price, um, all kinds of different things that we're able to offer across the board, even to a brand that might not need it or, you know, really plan to need it in the same way. So like, for example, some of our brands are heavy users of fleet vehicles, as I'm sure you can understand. Some of our brands um, don't provide vehicles in the same way because people aren't, um, they're not on the road and being dispatched in the same way. So like in our home healthcare brand and home watch caregivers, right? They don't have like fleets of vehicles right. cruising around the street because in a lot of instances, those brands may not want, or those customers of those brands may not want to be advertising that mom needs help because she's getting a little bit older. It's very sensitive, right? So we, um, but every brand gets the benefit of being able to purchase through those purchasing groups. So, you know, it might not be something that was top of mind, but maybe they want new cars for their managers. They don't have to all be wrapped. They can still all buy them through the group purchasing discount. So, um, it was super helpful too for us during COVID because we were able to access um, PPE in a way 
that individual brands or individual locations might not have been able to, and we were able to access it branded. Oh, that's good. So yeah, being able to get everybody masks with their brand logos on it, um, never something I really thought I'd be thinking about <laughs> in the middle of the night, but a, a March and April <laughs> had a top of mind for me. So, um, so there is a, a lot of great opportunity that comes from group purchasing. Um, in fact, one of the things that we do with each of our owners is run through kind of like a cost analysis to say like, hey, let's just look at your current state. Where could we just save and drop straight to the bottom line with deals we already have in place that you might just not know about? Yeah. And, and another key piece uh, to this, well, one, the overall goal is really of this whole thing is you've done these things to accelerate the growth of that of that contractor. That is kind of the overarching deal. But a piece of this that we're missing is the training piece of it, right? And I want to hit on that for, for a minute too, because it's something that we, um, you know, even as a as a marketing company, all we can do is we, we bring the lead in at that point in time. You know, even though we have a team here that listens to every single phone call that comes in for the customers so we can de- decipher what's what, you know, we, we find opportunities for, we did our job, marketing did its job, but the CSR butchered the lead coming in or the after hours answering service we caught did a horrible job on, you know, um, handling the lead. And so the close ratio is awful. We don't offer call coaching as a company, but we can certainly identify the opportunity. But the training piece of it is huge, not just for CSRs, but also, you know, in op- operational technicians, all this stuff. So the training offering that you guys have is pretty solid too. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a whole... Um, kind of branch of our of our company called Success Academy that's really focused on ongoing training, both um, technical training, but then also the touch points along the way that we might just want to educate people on. So I know I keep going back to COVID because unfortunately it's it is what really it is. top of mind. It is what it is, yep. I know, the curse. Um, but you know, that's something too where we wanted to reevaluate, like, okay, what do our in-home policies look like? What should we change because we don't want to be handing someone a tablet like we used to, right, for them to touch like they used to? And how do we quickly disseminate that across all of our locations so everybody knows what kind of best practice is in a landscape that's changing day to day to day? Um, And how do we make it easy for our owners to communicate that to all of their technicians so really for us, you know, training and being able to provide video training, webinar training, um, anything that will help our franchise owners better train, more quickly train their, you know, their technicians at the local level um, is hugely beneficial to us because those little things, as you guys know, the service level delivery is really what makes all the difference right? Like we could, we could plan all day long and have a great, a great plan in place for how we want to handle being in people's homes. And if, if the individual technician who's in a home on a given day, doesn't give the customer a great experience, then everything else up the pipeline is completely worthless. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So, um, so we really just try to focus on giving our owners tools to make their training of their individual employees that much easier. So it's one less thing they have to think about putting together, organizing. Um, and that's even things down to like weekly meeting talking points. Like 
if you don't have anything, if there's nothing top of mind, here's some stuff that we think is good to talk about right now. Here's another reminder of what you should be telling, you know, the teams out in the field. Um, just so that, you know, it's not always the owner on an island trying to figure out, you know, what do I say today? Because, you know, you guys know every contractor is different. Every business owner is a little bit different. And for some people, that stuff is so natural and comes so easy. And for others, they might be a little more technical. They're maybe a little less kind of pub public speaking soft skill in some way. And so, you know, for those guys, it's useful just to have a crutch to be able to lean on or know that if they do, they can easily access some of that. I have so many questions. There's so many different directions we can go. Um, think about this. Think about a scale of one to 100 where one is I just use the franchise brand. Let's talk HVAC. I just use the brand and I do everything else on my own. I just want to use the brand. One hour, for instance, right? Where 100 is like I completely run my business by the book. Where would you say your most successful uh, franchisees um, fall in there? 60%, 70%? What's that look like? Is it even, are you even able to measure it? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great question. First <laughs> off, that's a super smart question because the answer is actually um, probably in like the 85 range because franchisees who follow the system and do it well are normally most likely to be the innovators within the system that then yeah. bring us what the future state of the organization looks like. So I say 85% because that 15% um, is really them being innovative and taking the system not off course, but like strapping a jetpack to it and sending it into the future. And really that's who we look to. I mean, I tell my team all the time, like the franchise owners will tell you what we should be doing. Like Absolutely. they know, they might not always be able to put it in like our marketing jargon, right? Like we might have to like decode and figure out, okay, what's the root of what they're asking for, but they know, man, they know these businesses, they know what they need. And so, yeah, for the, in general, I'd say the most successful are normally the ones who are following the intent of mm -hmm. the system and really trying to identify how it could get better. But I will say that normally that, that as a, as a characteristic can't really come like year one. Like you right. have to kind of know what, what we've got and kind of how it operates first, but like year three, two, three and up, then yeah, absolutely. And those guys are just so helpful um, in helping us continue to grow and change and respond to the market and customer needs and things like that. Yeah. And the reason I ask that, like the 85%, if that brings enough value, then the 15%, they should be sharing with you willingly, right? That you can make everything better. Um, changing gears a little bit, um, back back to focus on HVAC, not to forget any of the other home services. <laughs> How often do you hear that it's hard to find technicians and it's hard to train technicians and we need more good people? I mean, I assume that's something you hear often, right? Yeah, we do. If if there was one thing I wish I could have like the silver bullet to fix for everybody, the industry as a whole, and not just HVAC, but any trade brand is just the 
lack of people who are coming into the trades young. Yep. Right. The and lack of young people coming in now. Um, no offense to everyone who's there. We love you dearly, but it's so tough for all of these guys to bring on new techs. And I just wish that, you know, I wish that shop hadn't been taken out of high schools so many years ago. Yep. You know, yeah. I know micro has done stuff in the past and there's been so many people trying to pour gasoline on this idea that people, you know, think, <laughs> Chris, I know you too. For sure. You know, yeah. That people think that they need to follow, you know, a traditional education or career path. And the reality is the opportunity to really build an amazing life where you and your family and a future generation lies within the trade. 100%. Absolutely. And, and I'm going to project a little bit on this topic. Chris and I are passionate about this because it impacts our business every single day. Um, we were of the belief at one point, and we had a hypothesis and we said, hey, there's not a lack of technicians in your market. There's a lack of technicians who want to work, work for your yeah. company. So we went down this path of recruiting. And then we realized that, oh, no, they're right. There's really not <laughs> a lot of technicians. So what we're finding is, and this is well known, this isn't rocket science, but the best companies are growing them from the ground up. And I'm just wondering, like, what role in the future maybe the franchise model might have for teaching people how to grow their own employees because people – that's not easy to do. And it requires discipline. It requires curriculum, instruction, and all sort of things. And I'm just wondering what, what's out there in that space right now. Were you trying to suggest a new offering underneath the franchise mill? <laughs> they probably have. No, that's where the 15% is. Remember the 85%? Got it, got it. Okay, okay. The 15% are people home growing their own technicians. How do we scale that and make so, technician great again? Yeah. <laughs> So here's, here's the one thing that's really tough about that from the seat that I have to sit in, right, in, in being a franchisor is previous legislation about the employer mandate and who's an employee or who's an employer of who. So it gets really gray if we as a franchisor say we're going to create a training school and populate it full of people and have scholarships and get people into the trades. Um, and then they need to go work for two years or whatever for one of our locations. Technically that makes them our employee and not our franchise owner's employee. Mm -hmm. And that's a super tough space to be in, in franchising specifically. So I agree with you. Um, you know, there are things that we try to do and offer from a training and retention standpoint that our owners can use. Um, but, you know, this is one that I don't know that I don't know that franchising will be able to solve in that way unless yeah. it becomes much safer for us to play in that playground from a legislative standpoint. I, I wonder, right. I wonder if it wouldn't also cause like a problem, you know, because if you're like, Hey, we, you know, we trained this group of new technicians and then like the guy in, you know, Phoenix is pissed because he didn't get the first dibs on the technician who didn't, you, you know, like, I don't know. I could see it almost like causing a problem because they're like, no, 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 I want him. But they also got to go where they want to go. You know, like it's still based on where does the, the, the uh, technician want to go, but I could just see how that would be like, well, why didn't I get a chance at this, you know, at getting this technician? I mean, I just, when you were talking about it, it made me think like, I wonder if that would also cause some problems. So I, I don't, yeah, I don't, this has always been, and as long as you've been in this, Heather, same as me, and even in, in 08, uh, this te 
the lead volume problem has never been the issue. It's the technician right. problem. It's, it's the body's problem. Um, you know, a lot of private equity and people who are coming to the trades in the last few years, looking at it like, oh, wow, this is a, you know, a really decentralized market. There's not a ton of, even though, you know, we would consider some of our brands as being large national players. They're still not large compared to the number of independent contractors that are out there doing the same things, right? right. You could add up all the independent contractors and there's more yep. than there is of any of the, of the big brands. I think what we're, we're going to see happen um, is that players like Amazon Home Services, who are trying to break into the space at a low cost, will just not be able to do it. It's not going to be possible because as there's a shortage in skilled labor, prices are going to increase. No one's going to want to play by Amazon's rules, really, unless maybe they're just in business as an individual. Um, and, and I think we're going to see maybe a tightening of the market a little bit when it comes to some of those like technology play players, like the people who are just trying to jump in and say like, oh, I've got a tech solution to generate a ton of leads in home services. And, you know, we'll route you all this great business, but we want you to take these, these customers for, you know, $40 to do, uh, you know, a, a water heater installation or something insane. It's like, it's just, it just won't support it. So I think we're going to see either those guys bow out or have to really think about what their model looks like, because it just won't be supported as the labor pool continues to shrink. So I have to, because you brought it up and it's definitely something that I think about um, as the leader of my company is this whole Google Amazon thing. Um, and because I have a lot of private equity that reaches out to me directly, always trying to <laughs> by our customers, like especially mm -hmm. the last five months, um, is the whole, you know, Amazon, Google mentality. So when and I can't remember if I told you this, Heather, or not, um, but in uh, December of 2014, Google flew out here, and this was, and they flew to my office in Phoenix, five of them, to meet with us. And um, in What day it, was it, Chris? It was December 14th. <laughs> How do you remember the actual day? <laughs> so... My uh, fourth child was born on that same day. Um, my wife's our COO, um, and you know it was you know kid number four. Like you got it figured out, and it was a, a scheduled you know like C-section. And so she came in, ran the meeting with me that morning. You went straight from the office to the hospital and have my youngest daughter Fallon. Um, that's why I remember that day. That's commitment right there. Because Google, you know, like back then, Google didn't come to your office. Like that's not how it went down. But it's because Google Home Services at the time was rolling out, and because the volume of, of uh, HVAC and plumbing customers we had in their MCC, their basically their AdWords software, that we had met the criteria and our retention rate was one of the highest. And they came in here to ask if we'd beta test out the program for them with our customers and help build out the structure of the Google Home Services program pre LSA, which was better than except for you couldn't get all the con you know you could it was a more of a private party if you will it was really unfair so like the way it is today works is, is the way it should be but all this to say um i believe they were coming to me because they had recently purchased nest i thought they were going to try and buy, buy me actually and then try to steal the data i have because we've tracked everything and, and the stuff that, that they wanted was the data i had and that was the end result of what actually happened past the lead so it didn't happen that way um but what I thought they were trying to do was own the home. And I do believe that's what they're trying to have happen. But I also wonder, like, you know, and th thankfully what we're blessed with, with only working with the trades 
is that we've been able to just chase the technology year over year over year. And that's what I really love to do. And I've always had, I got to keep my finger, you know, on the pulse of what's going on in the market. So this whole topic of Amazon's going to, you know, just wants to buy the labor. They're going to start buying companies to own the labor because it is going to become a labor game. There's a big piece that is of the labor charge, if nothing changes, which I am for certainly trying to do my share to change that piece of it. And especially because of being a, uh, being a uh, essential business made it really clear. You get that back in school. But this whole Amazon, you know, and Google is, you know, going to end up buying all the contractors saying, I'm not sure I'm bought in on it, but it keeps coming up, you know, to me. Have you heard anything along the lines of that with Amazon and Google saying, like, that's kind of their end game is to not only own the digital lead line, but then buy up the companies and own the labor? I mean, some people have made good cases. Sometimes I'm like, nah, like the different pieces I see. What is your thought on that? I mean, I know that's a, such a loaded question too, because I, uh, I love this topic, by the way, okay, like I cool. could talk about this literally all day long. Um, you know, my personal opinion um, is based off some fact and some observation, I guess safe I that's, to say, that's right? about so right. Yeah. When, when Amazon first started getting into home service, they started in house cleaning and in Seattle, and they actually employed all of the cleaners as contractors, um, I believe as contractors, to learn the house cleaning business. And then, and then they came and knocked on our door basically and said, help, we want to partner with you and yada, yada, yada. And here's what the structure looks like. And we're like, you didn't really learn the house cleaning business. Like, it doesn't really work like that. And then fast forward a little bit and you see them develop the tech, right? For a uh, home or a store where you don't scan anything, you walk in, pick up what you want, walk out. I'm um, okay, cool. They've got technology, but what are they going to do? License it to a bunch of stores? No, they bought Whole Foods. Okay. Well, that becomes a distribution arm for that and Amazon Fresh, right? Which they needed a lot of storage, a lot of access to existing supply chain. So if they try to do the, the same thing in home service, what are they gonna do? Are they gonna buy up a bunch of contractors? Are they gonna try and buy national brands? I don't know, this is speculation sure. talking. I would just say that what we've seen them do with Whole Foods leads me to believe that they have no issue putting a significant amount of money behind whatever they need to do to get the distribution arm to be able to execute against what they think a supply um, or a demand issue is, right? So they know that they can sell home services. Um, they just need someone to, to do it at a price point that fits in their big giant ecosystem of a model. So, so I don't know. That's Listen, I get it. Like, cause there's so many things I'm always like, I don't know. I don't know either. And it's, it's, but I have, you know, I do have to listen because we have a lot of really big, really big players in the space. Some of the largest in the space. Um, and I know, and I'm, because I've been in the industry so long, I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of credibility to the things I hear. And you wonder like, what do they really know? What do they not know? So really it's kind of like at this point, it's a, uh, keep listening, but it's until it, something actually takes place. It's business as usual. And since you brought it up, I had to go look it up really quickly. Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods was a cash purchase of $13.7 billion with a B. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Kyle, that's I a mean, 
Jeez. Like, <laughs> at that point, like, that's beyond even like monopoly money. Like, that's to a level where I don't even understand, like, how you move that A to point B, right? I could have not cashed in a briefcase, but like, that's a lot of money. Hey, producer Kyle, will you find out how? much space 13.7 billion in cash makes up in hundred dollar bills please not right now he's, he's doing it right now but yeah so kyle's i'm, I'm gonna so go. kyle's our podcast producer you can't see me hides back there behind me i love that i wish i had i wish i had somebody who i could just ask these questions to <laughs> he's literally i have my dog but she you know unfortunately <laughs> no opposing she can't type so can't nope nope that do claw don't work the same so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna bring us back on track because we're getting later into it. I want to ask one more um, one more really important question um, before I ask the last question, and it's really the last question is just I'm um, being able to let everybody connect with you. But th- this one matters a lot because I think it's important that we finish with this. Um, so anybody who's listening that you know is potentially you know looking to join you know join a franchise. You know, if I'm them, I'm wondering, well, that's great, Heather, but like, and why one of the authority brands? The good news is, listeners, if you listen to the beginning part of what I said, she kind of came from another family of brands too. But anytime you've been in this space this long, you know what makes you different, better than all of your competitors and that type of offering. But so, so what would, you know, what's the, if somebody's looking to join a franchise, why is one of the authority brands the best option? I know you're going to nail this one. Know it. Well, like you said, <laughs> I've been in franchising for a while now. And I will tell you the reason that I moved to Maryland from my beloved home state of Texas um, was because when I met with the team that later became the authority brands team, the team at the time, the cleaning authority team, um, I asked them a question and I loved the answer I got. And it was, how does the cleaning authority corporate make money? And everything tied back to the individual locations and their success. There was no secondary interest. There was no, you know, it felt like, and it has felt like since then, everybody is chasing the exact same objective to help the franchise owners become larger and more profitable and more successful. And having a singular goal like that lets us kind of open our eyes to think about things in a way that other franchise brands choose not to. So I kind of referenced earlier that all of our brands have people on staff who own franchises. Some people might say that that's two opposing interests, but in my mind, that's complete unity. If my corporate decision-making is based on Also, the fact that I own a a business just like you do, and I'm going to give you advice just like I would because we're all thinking and rowing in the same direction. Um, I think that's a great way to look at it. And that's very, very, very uncommon in franchising for brands to be set up like that. Um, So that's a huge piece of it. Um, You know, also a little biased because I am in marketing. You know, we try very, very hard to automate our marketing systems and programs for our owners. Um, And so in a lot of our brands, you know, owners are making a couple decisions about how their money is being spent by channel, what offers they want to give, and then we're executing. 
we're doing it for you, you know, so that way you don't have to be in it all day, every day. We'll bring you our recommendations on what we would change if we should move money around, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so personally being that that's my team that's doing that, um, I obviously think that approach is much better than just being a marketing coach, which is what a lot of franchise brands are. You know, here's our ideas. Here's who you should call, go call them. Um, is very different than here's what we should do. This is the data we have on everyone else we've ever run this for. You good? Great. We're doing it for you. Done. Perfect. You know, like so that. those are those are two. You know, there's I could go on, but those are two really big differences. Yeah, you know, and I would say anybody who's thinking about a franchise and thinking about you know maybe taking um, you know taking a look at. You know, taking your existing business and converting it into, you know, a franchise brand. Um, you know, if I were in your shoes, the that first point I made would be the question I would ask: How do you? How does the franchisor make money? Oh. Is it in other ways? Then you know that's something to consider, right? But if it's you know operationally based off of the shared success, growing, you know, your business, great. Paul. How does Rhino make money? <laughs> we make money at Rhino. I thought we just fulfill <laughs> dreams and so the only way retention people the, sticking with us forever. Only way Rhino is a debt-free company since day one, super high retention rate. But the only reason we make money is because it's all about our customers' growth. If our customers grow, we grow, and that's exactly what we've chased every year: is genuinely caring about growing our customers at, and doing whatever it takes. Um, it feels good to do that. Just like it feel, you, feels good for you, Heather, to be able to do that at your level because you get to impact the masses. All those, all the contractors have families. You know, um, they, they want to grow. You know, they have technicians that want to advance, you know, people that want to you know, do better in life. And I genuinely believe marketing impacts those things. So I take those things super personal because you should right? Somebody's giving you money to help them grow or they join your franchise to help them grow. They're putting that trust in you and you owe it to them to do everything you can to possibly grow them. I love that you said that. So that being said, anybody who's listening, um, Heather, for the sake of this conversation, so it's not any longer because I know the bandwidth of some of our listeners, um, <laughs> let's go ahead and share the best way for them to get in touch with you if they want to hear more you know, hear more from you or they're interested or they maybe want to talk to another uh, franchisee like, and ask some questions or whatever. But if they want to connect with you or with um, just with whomever there they need to connect with, what's the best way for our listeners to do that? Yeah, absolutely. The easiest way to get a hold of me is via email and it's pretty straightforward. It's just Heather at authoritybrandsllc.com. And then if anybody is interested in speaking um, to someone more specifically about what it might look like if you want to explore one of our brands, um, Marla is amazing and the person you should talk to and her phone number is 855 432 4076. And of course, you can always go to theauthoritybrands.com. Perfect. Well, we'll if you're cool with it, we'll add the contact info into the, the post as well um, when, when we share it. I'm not exactly sure when this episode is going to post, but before we go, Paul, uh, Kyle answered your question. 
If you laid out $13.7 billion in $1 bills end to end, you could travel the circumference of the earth 53 times. Wow. <laughs> that's in hundreds. Wow. Thank that's you, in, producer. That's Kyle. in $1 bills. $1 bills. Okay. Oh, got it. Hey, could you run that at $100 bills? Actually, Kyle, what formula would you use to do? Never mind. That'll keep him busy. Never mind. Never mind. Maybe that's next time. So he's completely derailed back there, and his face is bright red, so he's not going to do it. Anyway, bright Heather, red, yes. Producer Kyle, he's like, oh, my gosh. I know. Heather, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Um, I, we Listen, I know that we talked. There's actually quite a few more questions that we had um, talked about originally, things that you kind of, we went over, and we really only hit about half of it. Um, are you game for a round two to hit on some other stuff? Yeah, of course. Okay. Of course. And if there's things that – come up to you, to y'all. If people have questions that they want to ping in, I'm more than happy to answer any questions about franchising or authority. Brand. 100% that's what's going to happen is when the episode airs um, is usually when we start to get um, blown up with different things. And that's when typically creates other topics that we discuss as we listen to, you know, with the listeners or even our customers, things like that. But I appreciate you so much. I know your, your schedule is crazy busy. So squeezing us in and giving us a lecture time, certainly appreciate that. I'm grateful since today is a day of gratitude, um, the attitude of gratitude. But listen, I hope it was as fun for you as it was for us. Yeah, it was a blast. I'll come back anytime you guys want to chat. Next time, I'll, I'll wear my baseball cap next time, so I fit in. Perfect. We'll send you a rhino hat. Oh, okay, there we go. I mean, Producer Kyle. Producer awesome. Kyle. Send a rhino oh, hat. He just wrote it down, rhino hat. Listeners, thank you so much. Hopefully you gathered as much good information as you could. Um, as always... You got to take action, right? Because ambition without action is what, Paul? It's useless. Ambition without action is useless. You got to do it, okay? Ain't nothing to it but to do it. But we are so grateful for all of y'all that listen. And if all of our new listeners are listening, um, for the first time, thank you. Keep coming back. Hopefully you enjoyed this. And again, um, once we once we make the post, we'll share some of the contact info for everyone. Or as always, you can reach out to us uh, directly on our Facebook page or wherever you can get a hold of us and, uh, and we'll get share the info with you. But Heather, thanks again, Paul. I appreciate you as always. I'm so excited for you to be here next week and the, all of my Rhino family to be in the Phoenix headquarters. It's going to be a great week to our listeners. Make it an awesome rest of the week. Thank you for listening to, to the point. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving us a review in the app store and don't forget to share with your friends till next time. Kick some ass.